So I'm calling today's word the end of the beginning. The dead body of Jesus was brought to life in resurrected form when the spirit of Jesus re-inhabited his entombed body on the Sunday following the Passover Sabbath. Only moments after this, a number of people that accompanied Jesus from paradise on his heavenward journey also inhabited their recently entombed bodies and made the briefest of appearances to their loved ones. You can read that in the scriptures, the references are there in the notes. Now, that astounded me, that phenomenon. And I looked for scriptures somewhere in the Bible, there must be something that mentions this or has a foundation for this to be even said. And it's wonderful how that 1400 years before this event occurred, it was actually spoken about in the book of Leviticus. And it came to pass on this day that Jesus rose with these others that had recently died. Because as we read in the book of Leviticus, on the Sunday morning after the Passover Sabbath, there was another feast that was part of the feast of Passover. And it was celebrated by Israel on the Sunday after the Sabbath. And it was called the wave offering, the waving of the sheaves or bunches of wheat or barley shoots that were the first fruits of the harvest season. And the festive day of Passover feast was prophetic of Jesus, whom the Bible twice declares to be the first fruits of the resurrection. He was like the, the waving of the first fruits. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus is the prime sheaf of the wave offering. But the other company of people who also rose and appeared to many made up the rest of the sheaf. So that wave offering, which honoured Jesus, Jesus as the prime sheaf, also included those other souls that were given bodies on that day. But then that momentary event didn't last for long because they had to get somewhere. Jesus then began his upward journey to the throne in heaven to present his blood to his Father for the purification of the sins of the whole earth. He returned to the earth that same day in a resurrected body that could never ever die again. This resurrected body was without the constraints of a limited physical body, but it could be seen and recognised as a natural body. So there are clues here about resurrection and resurrection bodies. And we read that in Mark chapter 16. It says, after that, Jesus appeared in another form, came back to the earth for 40 days. And that word in the Greek is heterosmorphae, an altered form or nature. He appeared in this other form to two disciples as they walked on the road to Emmaus. So he returned to earth, to Jerusalem, and he would not have been recognised by all of those people in Jerusalem because we see that when we get to his walking along the journey with these two men, they didn't even recognise him until the Holy Spirit revealed him. That's another clue 
of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to reveal Jesus to us, the resurrected Jesus. So he's walking around Jerusalem and listening to what's being said. And he hears that the temple priests had fabricated a story that his body had been stolen by the disciples. They'd overcome the temple guards and raided the tomb. That was the story going around. So he set off walking from Jerusalem in the direction of Galilee, where he had said he would meet with his disciples. He said that when he first rose. He told them, I'll see you in Galilee. He spoke to Mary Magdalene. He said, tell the disciples, Galilee. So he set off walking from Jerusalem in the direction of Galilee, where he said he'd meet them. And he saw these two men walking together in serious discussion. And he greeted them and he joined them as they walked. But the Holy Spirit, it says this in Luke chapter 24, had veiled their eyes from recognising it. They were taken aback that this stranger seemed to know nothing of what had happened in Jerusalem over the last few days. See, Jesus was wanting to get into conversation. He likes to know what people are thinking, so he talks to people. And they can talk back. He loves that. So they explained patiently to this stranger the things about Jesus, that he did miracles, that he was a great prophet, and how their chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. They said they were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel, as he had said that he would rise on the third day. And besides all of this, that day was the third day since these things happened. So as they walked the 12-kilometre journey to Emmaus, that's quite a time. They walked this journey to Emmaus and Jesus on the way quoted them passage after passage from the writings of the prophets, beginning with the book of Genesis, going right on through the scriptures, explaining what the passages meant and what they said about himself. And something happened in their hearts as they listened. How about that, listening to the living word speaking about himself? Something would happen in your heart. They appealed to him to stay with them as they finally arrived at Emmaus, even though he had told them that he was going further on to Galilee. So Jesus accepted their offer to at least stay and have a meal with them. During the meal, Jesus took some bread and he prayed a blessing over it. And as he broke the bread, their eyes were opened. And immediately they recognised who he was. And at that very moment, Jesus vanished from their sight. When you can't predict what Jesus is going to do, <laughs> say, stay, Jesus. Oh, <laughs> he's gone. But this event could well be called the First Fruits Communion Service, a prophetic illustration of how our times of fellowship and communion in remembrance of Jesus open up to us a deeper revelation of who Jesus is as we sit in the presence of God and in the unity of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus disappeared, the two men decided to go back into Jerusalem and find the disciples who weren't in Galilee at all. They were hiding, afraid of what was going to happen to them because of the rumours that were going about that they had stolen Jesus' body. Such men of great faith. So the two disciples found the others and they were taken inside the room and the doors were locked behind them. And they told the other disciples of their journey with Jesus on the road to Emmaus and their miraculous meal with him where he had suddenly vanished. 
Now, while they were still talking, Jesus appeared in the midst of them while the doors remained locked. He was able to do that. This resurrected body has got a, an energy with a frequency that we don't really know of experientially. Yet, the disciples panicked, thought they were seeing a ghost, but Jesus explained to them that he was not a ghost because a ghost didn't have bones and flesh. And he asked them to touch his hands and his feet and to see for themselves. Jesus stretched forth his hands and his peace hit their hearts and he breathed his spirit upon them and they received the impartation of the spirit and his peace. They immediately felt at one with Jesus and with each other. But this was just a mere foretaste of what was to come as it would only be after his final ascension and being seated at the right hand of the Father that Holy Spirit would be sent to dwell within them. On the day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit would be sent from Father and from himself upon all humanity. He asked them if he could have something to eat, almost as if to say, well, you want to know that I'm not a ghost? Well, give me something to eat. <laughs> ghost, don't eat, apparently. So James brought back some steamed fish and honeycomb and Jesus accepted it and ate it. And he noticed that Thomas was not amongst them. He told them that he would see them in a few days at Galilee and he vanished again. The disciples all gathered at Galilee eight days later and Jesus again miraculously appeared to them. He knew that Thomas had not believed that he had risen, even after the other disciples had said that they'd seen him. So Jesus held out his hands towards Thomas, told him to have faith and believe and touch his hands and his side where he'd been pierced. Thomas did this and said, my Lord and my God. Jesus acknowledged that in seeing and touching, he now believed. He went on to tell Thomas, there'd be many who would believe without even seeing him and they would be greatly blessed for that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith we can have. How do we get that faith? The Holy Spirit dwells within us and reveals the risen Christ, just like he did a little preview of that on the road to Emmaus. Their eyes were opened. That's what happens to us. What a beautiful prayer to have. Thank you, Lord, would you please my, open my eyes. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Reveal Jesus more and more to me. I certainly will. Jesus appeared to them again one morning after seven of them had been out fishing all night and had caught nothing. He stood on the shore and watched them. They were fishing, but they didn't realise that he was there, the one on the shore. They'd taken out two boats, a large boat with a big drag net, and the other one, an auxiliary boat, to store fish in. And Jesus shouted out to the fishermen from the shore, asking them if they'd yet caught anything. Fishermen love that when somebody says, have you caught anything yet? And they said, no. So then he gave them some advice which fishermen don't like to get, mostly. <laughs> Jesus told them, throw out the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get plenty of fish. And when they did, they couldn't draw in the net because of the weight of the fish. Then John called out to Peter, that is the Lord. And at that, Peter put on a robe, jumped into the water and swam ashore. The rest of the disciples stayed in the boat and pulled the loaded net to the beach. When they got to where Jesus was, they saw that a fire was kindled, fish were being fried over it, and there was bread. And Jesus told them, 
go and get some of the fish that you just caught. You've done well, that was a good catch. Isn't it interesting? They probably thought they had done very well themselves. We've got to know that in the background, Jesus is doing the work. Jesus tells us where the net is, we don't know. And we question, we think, you want me to do this? Oh, well, Jesus, why would you want me to do this? And Jesus said, you'll find out. <laughs> we go ahead and do it. We get a word from the Lord, we don't know what it means. And then we see the result. We still think sometimes it's been us. We realise, that was you, Lord, thank you. So, Peter did what he was told, and he went out and dragged in the net and took the fish. There were 153 large fish there. It's amazing the detail in the Bible. And yet the net hadn't torn. Jesus then invited them to come and have some breakfast, and Jesus went around serving them the bread and the fish. That was the third time that Jesus had appeared to them since his return from the dead. After they'd all enjoyed breakfast together, Jesus called Peter aside. He knew there were things that had to be said between them. Peter's soul was in a turmoil of regrets and shame and guilt. Time and again, he had asked himself why he hadn't stood up for Jesus instead of disowning him three times when he was asked if he knew him. He'd remembered when the rooster crowed that Jesus had predicted that he would deny him three times. What was Jesus going to say to him now? Would Jesus disown him? Even rebuke him three times? You see, Peter was a, a human being with a human spirit, just like all of us, who thinks, oh, I've blown it. I deserve to be punished. Not even God will like me anymore. He won't accept me. And he'll tell me that I deserve to get into trouble and that I better try hard and make up for it. That's what the human spirit thinks. But there's one big statement that Jesus made when he came into the world that we should stick by as the template of reality between us and God. Jesus says, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Anybody who preaches condemnation to you say, excuse me, could you move aside? I'd like to hear what Jesus has to say. <laughs> not Moses right now. So what was Peter going to get from Jesus here? A rebuke? No. Jesus asked Peter three times in three different ways whether or not Peter loved him. And Peter humbly gave himself up to the ownership of God's love. As a true representation of a flawed humanity owned by God's love, Peter was mercifully forgiven and accepted. It was also this moment that owned him, not the past. I mean, the past can try and own you, you know that. Don't let it. And don't let the future, the uncertain future own you. It's a waste of time. It's the moment that owned him. It's the moment that owns us. The reality of Jesus now here, present. And he says to us, be present to that. This would continue to be this greatest gift that Peter would continually offer to God. The gift of each moment to God. You think, what can I give to God? Give him the moment. This is your moment, Lord, you own me. You're doing something that I don't know of in the world of the unseen, I trust you. Peter was then commissioned three times to feed God's lambs and feed his sheep. As Peter would go on in life, he would have faced his many imperfections. I mean... We all have them. Nobody escapes them. 
And Peter may well have learned to return to that special moment on the seashore. Oh yeah, I remember that. It was real. And he would then surrender to the ownership of God's love. He would probably walk around saying, I surrender, I surrender. And he would shed his fears and grow in faith and be transformed into God's nature. The Bible says that Jesus met with over 500 people over those 40 days. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. And the final time that he met with his disciples, they asked him if this was now the time for him to free Israel from Rome and restore his people as a mighty nation. They hadn't really learned a lot about the spiritual vision that Jesus had of his kingdom that was not of this earth. But see, they hadn't been really filled with the Holy Spirit yet. He was leading up to that. He told them that only his father had set these times for Jesus ruling the entire world visibly. And that will be a wonderful event. We'll be there. But he said, it's not for you to know that. He also told them that they would testify about his death and resurrection with great power. He instructed them not to leave Jerusalem, that they would be baptised with the Holy Spirit in just a few days. The promise of the Father. They were to wait in the same room in which he celebrated the Passover feast with them the night he was taken captive. That was the last meeting, really, of instruction because at that moment a dazzling light shone and a billowing cloud appeared above them and Jesus turned to them and he raised his hands in blessing. He didn't need to say goodbye, but as he began to slowly rise heavenwards, he was enveloped in the cloud. As they stood together looking into the cloud that had taken him, they saw the shining figures of the now familiar two angels standing to one side who told them that the same cloud that they saw taking Jesus into eternity would also bring him back one day to that same place in total glory and triumph of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus even said, um, I'd say prophetically, he said, you will speak to this mountain and say, be removed because when Jesus comes back that mountain will split and that will be when that prophecy will be fulfilled we'll say be removed <laughs> so Jesus said that he would come back to that same place in glory and total triumph and the plan of salvation will have been fulfilled and so they waited just as he had instructed them and after 10 days the Holy Spirit fell upon them. Jesus told them he would join their lives to his risen life and they would become one in spirit with him. The Holy Spirit would take Father's love and his own words and place them in the hearts of men and women as a deep consciousness of indwelling, abiding life. Amen.